Hello, and welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I am Carl Christensen. Joined tonight by Tim, I draw stick figures poorly, Cox. That's a reference, by the way, to my income bracket, not my artistic ability. (laughs) Well, it's both, actually. Good point. (laughs) More of a life motto. It's like... uh, (laughs) That's right. Okay. <laughs> that, that's actually uh, one of the uh, possible names of my biography that I'm considering is poorly done. <laughs> Just in the right now. Okay. All right. I like it. Okay. So, uh, and we have with us tonight for the first time, Jerem Vogel. Welcome to the podcast, Jerem. Thank you, Carl. It's great to be here. So, Jerem, for those of you that have listened for a long time and are, um, for some reason, still listening, the uh, you might no- notice that Jerem uh, last name sounds familiar. Uh, we've had uh, your brother on before, Jerem Peter, as our re- resident physicist um, turned dentist, which is always confusing. But um. yeah, that guy. If you <laughs> yeah. develop a black hole, he will know what to do. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, Jerem is on tonight. Jerem Fogel is a uh, digital uh, illustrator, graphic designer, uh, generally skilled in um, art creation, I guess, and all its mediums. Is that? That's that's very good of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's my official title. If you go to my website, that's Carl was just reading it off there. Actually. <laughs> that's your bio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, Jerem, did you now I know that you went to college. I don't remember what your major was. Um, did you major in uh, I mean, digital illustration isn't like a uh, an official major, is it? No, I so I, I majored in illustration. Um, okay. I did the same program as Michelle Christensen, who was on here a little while ago. It was also actually. on here. Yeah. yeah. Not at the same time, though. She's a little older than I am. Okay. But yeah, so I it's, it's funny you mentioned Peter being a dentist. So I started college with the idea that I was going to be a dentist as well. I don't know if I've told you this before, but um, uh, so I went through all of, uh, let's see, pretty much all of the pre-dental requirements, except for, I think, some sort of biochem class. So I did all of the ochem and everything, and then went on this trip to New York with my illustration program. So I was doing illustration on the side. I, I should back up a little bit. So basically, when, when you go to be a pre-dental major, there isn't a pre-dental major, at least at the at BYU where I went. And so they basically tell you, you can um, major in whatever you want to do. And because I've always liked art, it was like, okay, well, I'll major in illustration and then do pre-dental as well, which was actually a really bad plan. Um, <laughs> because it turns out, you might be surprised to learn there's not a whole lot of overlap between those things. Weird. Um, so, but I think I think uh, I kind of enjoyed being the the weird one in the dental classes and the weird one in the illustration classes. It's just some <laughs> sort of like weird uh, contrarian streak in my family. Good. Um, good. But yeah, so so I went on this trip with my illustration program um, towards I don't know year four of college or something like that, and uh, we visited a bunch of like working illustrators out there, and I just kind of realized like why am I doing this dental thing? I don't want to do this. Like I worked I worked for my dad for a while. He was a dentist um just as a dental assistant and i didn't enjoy it it was really stressful to me you just 
fill cavities all day or or worse <laughs> and uh it was so so i got to this point it's like i've put in a ton of work on this and i'm just going to kind of uh throw this out the window much to the chagrin of my parents and pursue art so. I, i'm sure that actually sounds really familiar not to only from from people in your family but my my dad did something similar where was walking down the pre-med uh, route and uh and at the last moment decided to major in english which is yes. so much uh, less useful than digital or illustration of any variety that you I mean your turn to illustration seems like uh, you were just money grubbing compared to what my dad turned to I, <laughs> I mean it, it definitely didn't feel like that at the time <laughs> I'm sure it didn't I'm sure it didn't but anyway you we'll, we'll talk about how you you turned illustration into a uh, you know a, what has become a lucrative venture for you so um yeah, and and uh, then Tim can also give any insights he has into all of the various um, artistic forms of. Okay, he doesn't actually have any insights. I, I draw from a deep well of artistic creativity. Well, and a deep well of puns, if that's any indication. So, well, there <laughs> we go. Yeah. <laughs> actually, okay, yeah. so. Um, I have nothing to contribute. Carry on. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Um, all right, so Jerem's background is in illustration, and we've got uh, a little bit of, about that. We're going to ask, we're going to talk about digital illustration, basics of digital illustration. So let's talk first of all about what the difference is between digital illustration and graphic design. Yeah, so I guess, uh, yeah, just talking about digital illustration, um, it's interesting that you you bring it up that way. Like, I, I guess I just think of myself as an illustrator. Um, it's actually pretty uncommon to be a traditional illustrator these days. There are a couple of fields where it still happens, but um, almost everybody I know works digitally uh, all the time just because of the kind of demands of the job and things like that. It's just a lot more flexible. So people who are still working traditional tend to be um, fine artists, um, obviously. And then uh, children's book illustrators, and then people who are kind of technology curmudgeons or something. There's there's a few people <laughs> who are still making it work, but sure. they're sort of few and far between. Or you get a few people who do kind of a mixed media approach where they'll do some traditional and then like finish it up digitally after the fact if they're going sure. for like a specific look. Um, so the the difference between like illustration and graphic design, I guess, is really the uh, the difference there. And and I guess digital illustration orders a little closer on graphic design than um, than it would have if you were doing paints and stuff like that, depending on your time period, I guess. Um, but uh, there's it's it's interesting because like they're very distinct in my mind, but there's also like a lot of overlap between these jobs. Um, so digital illustration or just illustration is more you're drawing pictures of things and it is more on the art side of the business where uh, graphic design is more on the you're you're doing typography you're doing layouts you're uh, designing logos um so it's more on the kind of overall like putting together a product type of type of end okay. of things uh, but there yeah. does tend to be some overlap so like i think good graphic designers are probably at least okay at doing a little bit of illustration in a pinch and good illustrators are probably okay at doing a little bit of design in a pinch if that makes sense it does yeah okay um, yeah uh, that's a good answer because yeah i mean in my mind graphic design was like yeah shapes and mm -hmm. colors and digital illustration was curvy lines um yeah so. well i mean that too yeah i mean there is there is actually a law that designers aren't allowed to use curvy lines in anything 
they're they're limited to shapes and fonts and if they go out of their lane then the uh design police show up good 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 we need to tamp down on that um okay so you're talking digital illustration and and just that's essentially illustration but you know doing it in a digital medium um how technical does the digital illustration get do you just need to know how to draw, how to, how to illustrate, or do you need, you know, some basic ability to, to code? Um, there, you definitely don't need to know how to code or anything like that. Um, it, it gets a little bit more technical than like working, well, technical in the sense that you have to use a computer than like working with paint goes. Um, I was going to say, and, and then I just remembered my oil painting classes in school and those are uh, technical in different ways. So, okay. <laughs> uh, sure. yeah, but it, it gets, Technical in the sense that you need to know how to use Photoshop or I use Procreate mostly, which I think we'll talk about in a minute. But um, like you need to be able to get around a computer pretty well and manage files and um, deal with kind of complex software sometimes. Uh, sure. But as far as needing to code goes, uh, that's just something that I do because I'm a big nerd. Um, <laughs> okay. Almost, I don't know. I, I can't even think of another illustrator off the top of my head who codes anything. Uh, I'm sure there are a few that I'm forgetting, and I'm sorry to any of you if you're listening, but uh, it's it's pretty rare. Um, the, okay. the one exception I would say to that is if you do want to do something with 3D or if you are a game developer, those are the ones that tend to be more in that code area. So, so if you're working on like 3D um, images and things like that, if you're creating models, you're not necessarily coding, but it's a lot more code adjacent. So you're kind of in that side mm. of your brain more when you're working on that kind of thing. Right. And then developers, there's a lot of them who are kind of a one man shop or are part of a small team. And so you do a little bit of everything sometimes. Okay. So people that do like, like they're working like Pixar animation theater uh, studios or something like that. Are those um, digital illustrators or those, um, cause they're going to have some, like you said, they're like 3d designers. Is that like a different, yeah. uh, it's, it's all kind of a mixed bag sometimes. So, okay. so most people, if you're working at a big studio like that, you're going to be more specialized. Um, so you're probably going to have people who are doing visual development. So that's more of the like pure illustration side. If you were working at a studio like that. So that means you're designing the characters, you're drawing them out in a bunch of different poses and things like that. You are kind of developing what the look of the film is, the backgrounds, the props, all of that stuff. Um, where, uh, if you're working on the 3d things, you probably aren't too involved in the design itself. You're just translating those drawings into 3d. I mean, obviously, okay. again, there's going to be some overlap. There's some probably some back and forth on a lot of that stuff, depending on uh, just kind of the the project and those things. Right. But um, uh, I think there was another okay. part of that question that I didn't get to. Um, well, I, I load the barrel many times before I ask a question. That's the be oh, no, best way to do it. I've heard is. <laughs> um, OK, uh, well, let, let's move on. You already mentioned the, the some of the software that you use. Mm -hmm. um, I remember a long time ago, so this is probably long enough ago that it might not be relevant anymore, that most digital uh, illustrators used Apple uh, devices, Apple computers, things like that, because they said it was better for, I don't know. I don't know what it's better for. You know, um, um, to be honest, it probably, I, I don't, and I say this as a, a big Apple fan, um, anybody who knows me, um, I, I don't know that it was actually better or anything. I think the reason that designers and illustrators wanted to use Apple things is because it's pretty. 
I mean, if we're really being <laughs> totally honest right, here, just aesthetically pleasing, and, and that's obviously what they're going to lean to if you're in this uh, um, in this area, right? Yeah. So, so like historically speaking, Apple's had um, very bad graphics processors in their computers. Um, okay. Uh, that's that's sort of changing now. They're still a little bit behind, but it's a lot better than it used to be. Um, so, so as far as like if you're working on graphics things, especially anything involving 3D or like high computation stuff, uh, then it's, I mean, the, the best option if you're a big nerd is you're going to go build your own Linux thing and spec it out. But a lot of people sure. use PCs, especially in that side of the industry. Um, but yeah, so I, I use an iPad almost exclusively to do my drawings and I use an app called Procreate. Um, I'm wearing the shirt here. I didn't know we'd be on video. Ta-da. Um, nice. All right. But uh, yeah, they're a great app. Uh, they're really nice people that develop it. I've worked with them on a few things and they're based in Tasmania of all places. Super nice. Oh, hey, and we actually have Tasmanian listeners. Just FYI, do we, we oh, hello, actually Tasmania. do. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, no, uh, Tasmania, they are based in Hobart and they are just the nicest people out there. So, um, but yeah, the app Procreate is just fantastic to use. It's really easy to approach if you have an iPad and an Apple Pencil. So like the basics are very intuitive, unlike something like not to name names, but um, Photoshop, for instance. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But there is also a lot of like depth to it. If you get into it, there's a lot of gesture customization, things that can like really optimize your workflow in there. Um, yeah, so I, and, I mean, a lot of uh, illustrators will use PCs and what's called a, um, see if I can pronounce this right, Wacom. I've heard it Wacom and Wacom and Wacom. So I'm, I'm not actually totally sure what the correct pronunciation is of that, but people really like the product called the Cintiq. So that's like a 27 inch ish. I, I don't know what the current size is. Big like screen that sort of lays at like a drawing table angle on your desk and plugs into your computer and then you draw on it. So a lot of people, um, especially who have been working longer, really swear by those things and they will work in Photoshop in one of those for the most part. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so those, you, you just mentioned those two softwares, are those, the, you know, Photoshop and uh, Procreate, are those the, you know, the biggest or the only player, like are those the ones that you just, they are, can you just pick one and, and like, that's your thing or or do you need to know multiple in order to <clears throat> you know create illustrations for different jobs i think it's helpful to know multiple um i think if you want to do this professionally uh you should probably know how to use photoshop even if you don't plan to use it a lot um the like the photoshop file format is just still kind of the standard so if you need to send a layered file over to a client when you're done with a project they will want it in photoshop and sometimes you have to do some edits and things like that in there which is kind of unfortunate because um you know, big, big evil empire, Adobe, whatever. I know. Uh, yeah, you don't have to but, tell me. We're, Adobe was our main competitor for a long time at my company. Probably still yeah, is. Uh, so. Yeah, not, I, we'll probably get back to this because I'm, yeah, I, I shouldn't badmouth companies on here. Um, there there are a lot of, there are a lot of good people working at Adobe, let's say. <laughs> I actually knew I, a couple of friends of mine used to work at Adobe. I don't think they do anymore. So we're absolutely free yeah. to badmouth them. So yeah, sure. Uh, um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, there's just a few things about, like, like they still have some really great software and a lot sure. of, a lot sure. of really good redeeming qualities. I don't know that I really agree with a lot of the directions the company has gone in recent years mm -hmm. personally, but yeah, anyway, sure. that's, that's, you know, aside, whatever. Right, right. Um, if so you use like, Adobe what? products, we're, that's, yeah, uh, that's, that's totally okay. Fine. We don't hate you. Uh, right. Uh, can, can I so, ask I mean, that real quick? Like, what do you mean the, Jerem, what do you mean the direction that the company's going? I'm just curious. Um, so the the main thing, and this is this goes back like 10 years or something like that. When I was in college, they switched over, switched over from charging something like four to 600. I can't remember 
dollars for the creative suite and you could just use it until it stopped working basically and they switched to a subscription model which like I, I think there are a lot of good reasons to do that but i think they overcharge for it and under deliver on what they promised from that at least for illustrators um so the the idea is basically like you will pay us 50 dollars or whatever a month um to have access to our software uh and we will give you updates and keep improving the software so the, the software hasn't I mean, they add things, but like almost every time there's a Photoshop update, it's like added support for this specific camera's raw image format or something like that. Camera you don't own and can't afford. Right, um, right. And, and they don't really do a whole lot for the actual illustration side of it. Um, so so there's that. And and I, I don't know, it just rubbed a lot of illustrators the wrong way. A lot of artists have been very annoyed by that for years um, because it feels kind of like they're just abusing their market position to uh, price gouge people basically um but the other thing and i think we will probably talk about this is they've really embraced uh generative ai in the last year or so which uh feels like a little bit of a stab in the back for artists <laughs> yes uh, yes we'll we'll delve into the ai question here near the end because i think that's a one an interesting one um and I'd, I'd love to get yeah the perspective you have on that but um before we go down that road well, and, and just really, that's kind of a tender topic because about half of our listeners are actually AI, so. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll have to try to be careful and sensitive about that one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know how many bots listen to us, but um, okay. Uh, you've talked about, um, you know, these different software and, and I mean, we, we briefly touched on the hardware, just a, gra a graphics mm -hmm. card, you know, a high quality graphics card, spec out your own PC, whatever you want to do, but there's multiple different types of hardware, yeah. a different software. Um, but we, we talked about at the beginning, you have the background in illustration, but with mm -hmm. these different types of software and, and, and this background in illustration, like what do you need to do to be able to bridge that gap? How do you learn to go from, I mean, or I guess that's probably these days built into the programs is is learning how to do these uh, the software. Mm -hmm. how How do you learn di digital illustration? Is it only in school? Are there different online classes? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, so I, I did this BFA program at BYU in illustration, and I think it was really helpful. But um, again, you might be surprised to learn this is not a regulated industry where anybody's going to be checking your credentials. So uh, you can absolutely become an illustrator without going to college ever if you are good at it and if you have a good portfolio that's really what like art directors are looking for with the uh, i should say the one caveat that if you ever want to teach as a full professor at a university then you will need a master's in fine arts of some kind um at least every university i know of I'm, i think that has something to do with accreditation but Sure. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the only place that I know of where anybody's checking your degree. Um, even even if you wanted to work at a studio or something like that, if you have like a good resume, if you have a good portfolio, I don't think anybody's going to care. They're just really looking for the talent. Um, as so so as far as like places to learn other than going to college, there are a ton of online courses, and I think those have really exploded over the last few years. Um, and you can also just take I don't know, you can read books, you can just practice. I mean, a lot of it really comes down to practice. Any any specific courses that you could recommend or, or books that you can recommend? 
Um, so as far as books go there, I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. There's a few classics. There's the Loomis book about um, figure drawing. There's, I think that's Andrew Loomis, if I'm remembering his name right. Uh, if anybody knows what they're talking, what I'm talking about better than me, I'm sorry if I'm <laughs> his first name. <laughs> that's, Everybody just calls him Loomis. learn it from a layman. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's one by James Gurney called Color and Light. That's just this really fantastic um whole book about kind of how to paint and like paint light and the different effects that light has so there's like the lighting around an object there's like i don't know there's there's all kinds of things like basically light reflected from the ground is going to be a warmer tone light from the sky is going to be a cooler tone there's just a whole lot of uh, uh things in there which is really nice there's there's tons of books i'm not really one for a lot of books um courses i guess if i'm allowed to plug myself i have a couple courses on you skillshare are. about uh how to draw in procreate specifically and um, there's a bunch of other courses on there that are really good. If you want something a little bit more beginner, uh, I have a friend, Lisa Bardo, who does, uh, some, uh, I, I'm trying to, she also does Skillshare and I think she has a YouTube channel now that is more tailored towards kind of beginner artists and things like that, especially for drawing digitally. And that's really good as well. So are those courses, your course and your friend, there's at Lisa, her, mm -hmm. her course, are they uh, more in the digital illustrate, like let's learn this yeah. software or is there more like the, this is how, you know, this is how to do illustration? Or, uh, probably more focused on the software specifically. If you want to learn illustration, um, it's a great question. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head of a really great course. Uh, I think that comes down to practice and like specifically you need to draw draw people. So like practice drawing people from life whenever possible, um, mm -hmm. going out with a sketchbook and things like that. And, and there is, you know, I'm sure there are courses about specific illustration techniques and things like that, but it, it kind of is, I don't know, the, the more abstract stuff is hard to pin down. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, Skillshare is the name of the, of the, is it the website that you, mm -hmm. the, the, yeah. your courses are host posted on? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So, Let's jump a little bit from learning about it to let's say someone does want to make this their job and they have beginning of a portfolio. They've got some work. Um, you know, how are you going to? How do you sell, distribute your illustrations? You need to go to a a customer. I mean, what is what is the, what are the venues to get your illustrations out there? Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, there's a couple of different avenues that we could take this question in. There are a couple of different avenues where you can sell your illustrations. So um, the as far as just like straight up selling artwork to individuals, uh, the ways that I mostly see that happen are people will uh, just print out prints. They call them gicle prints. Usually it's kind of a nice higher quality print on a nicer paper. And they're supposed to be a little bit archival, maybe if you do it right. Um, and they will take those to things like Comic-Con or uh, various like art conferences or comic conferences and things like that and just sell directly to people. And then um, if you're a little bit more of a well-known illustrator, if you have a bit of an online following or something, you might sell those um, on your website or on uh, various kind of print on demand sites and things like that. So you just uh, and a lot of those tend to be kind of fan art. It's so especially if you are not like a super well-known illustrator yourself so you might be selling like um, fan art of spider-man or disney or marvel or uh, star wars whatever it is and but kind of in your style and people really like that kind of thing um aside from that uh you can also and and this is kind of taking it back a little bit so the way that you sell your illustrations and the way that i would do it is a little bit less directly is that i have an agent who finds me um, work with bigger clients so these are what we, you would call a commission. 
um, from a client. So I've done work for companies like um, Spotify and um, Disney, and I don't think I'm allowed to say this technically, but Apple. Um, <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> sorry, did I Snapple? I, I think no. I said Snapple. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what you said. That's what I heard. Uh, and uh, Meta or Facebook or whatever they're called now. So a bunch of these like bigger tech companies, especially, will hire illustrators to create like marketing images and things like that for them. And those are like when you go to a website and you see illustrations on there helping to sell something or maybe packaging illustration and things like that. Um, those are more kind of like freelance gigs is and that's mostly what I do. Okay. Um, or I've also done some for boring insurance companies and stuff like that, you know, whoever, whoever <laughs> pays the money basically. Right. Uh, or, or magazines. That's another big one. Uh, children's books. I've done a couple of children's books that that process is a little bit different because it's uh, all in the publishing world. But basically right. um, people would reach out and say, hey, we want we have this book that we need illustrated. So I've done one about horses, one about boats and then an animal encyclopedia. And then they distribute them however books get made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go out in the world. Okay, so you are mentioned you have an agent. Are, yeah. do you, does your work mostly as a freelancer, essentially, you're an independent contractor, whatever, mm -hmm. but are you, uh, is, is your work being sourced via like, you know, on like you, your online presence, uh, like, uh, or, or is your agent out there like drumming up business? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, okay. So I definitely got started just with um, Instagram and things like that. I, I think I was a little uh, not early, but earlier than a lot of people to the posting art on social media game. And, and it was just kind of when Instagram was taking over from Tumblr <laughs> as well. So there was a little bit of an opportunity. All the artists were on Tumblr probably longer than most people were. Um, so I started posting illustrations on Instagram and they kind of picked up a little bit of, uh, steam there and people noticed, and I managed to get a pretty decent following. And so then that's how some publishers found me originally. That's how my agent found me, um, things like that. And I still I still get a few jobs that come in directly that way. Um, but I would say most of my bigger jobs come through my agent now. And actually, contractually, anything in the US is supposed to go through my agent as well. So, Okay. I did have a question, and we didn't actually talk about this before the podcast, or I didn't, but I was wondering about, like, when you're posting things on Instagram or, or whatever mm -hmm. online presence you have, um, do you ever, I mean, are there ever copyright issues? Do you ever see people just essentially lifting your work and, and using it? Um, do you have to have someone to, like a lawyer out there protecting your IP? You know, it hasn't happened to me in any really big way. I've, I've had it happen a little bit. The The biggest thing that happens is just that like um, other accounts will kind of copy your work and then post it. Usually they credit you, uh, but it's like just to sort of inflate their own following. And there's a bunch of these companies that are a little bit... Uh, I don't know if predatory is quite the right word, but I don't know. Um, paras parasites, maybe? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. They just sort of pick okay. stuff up. Um, there, I have had friends who have had work directly copied by uh, mostly like fast fashion clothing companies, and they just like print it on shirts and sell it with no kind of no, anything, and they've had to get lawyers involved and stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah, so it, it does happen, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, artists aren't typically the ones who can afford lawyers the, the uh, yeah I was gonna say that to the degree that that's necessary so a lot of these like fast fashion companies especially will just sort of like rely on the inability of the little guy illustrator to do much about it so the best you can do is kind of uh, send them a, a cease and desist or take right. down notice and then use your um, social media clout to try to drag them through the mud if you can <laughs> Our, our mutual cousin Michelle also had negative things to say about fast fashion. So yes, I think we yeah. have a, 
<laughs> it's uh, it's a little bit of a blight in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, you already mentioned, so you're a freelancer. Um, are there other jobs? Like, I mean, I mentioned potentially Pixar art. How many illustrators that you know are, are independent, like freelancers versus people that actually have like a full-time gig at a, at a play, at a, uh, studio or something? Uh, it's a bit of a mix. So because of the program that I did and just the sort of like network that I've created online, a lot of my friends are also freelance illustrators in the more kind of traditional sense. Um, but uh, like when I was in school, there were basically two tracks you could choose from in this illustration program. So you could do the traditional illustration route, which is you're going to go and find clients somehow, be commissioned to create artwork for them. Um, and typically that's going to be like, at least at the time, the thinking was like, this is going to be children's books, um, editorial pieces for like the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, whatever. And, um, you know, that, that kind of thing, more, more traditional, like, what you think of when you think of like classic right. illustrators, um, right. cover of Saturday Evening Post or whatever. Um, sure. But the other track uh, was called Concept Design. And I don't know if it's still organized this way over there, but basically that track is more focused on uh, visual development, like I talked about. So you're like designing characters for movies and games and things like that, or uh, you are directly going into more like 3D concepts and that that side of things where you're working in the entertainment industry to help kind of develop IP for companies. Okay. Nice. But um, I, I think it was kind of 50-50 split in, in school who was going after what. And there's, I mean, is the pay the same? I mean, uh, I guess as an independent contractor, you'd imagine you're going to have a bigger range, right? You're going to have the starving yeah. artist out there, but you're also going to have the hugely successful, you know, um, Jerem Vogel. For example. Well, yeah, I, I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there, there's a huge range. So if you go out and decide to be freelance, like you said, there's a bigger opportunity for success. Um, but there's also, I, I would say that's not the common experience for people. Um, right. It's more likely that you're not going to make a ton of money on your own. Uh, but you, I mean, you can hustle and you can uh, you can make it happen. You know, whereas you're probably going to get paid a average-ish salary, unless you're like a really rock star illustrator that everybody wants to hire um, going into concept design. And the people that choose that, it's because, well, I mean, I guess primarily it's probably because they love it and they're excited about it. But also right. there was definitely a big, uh, uh, what's what's the term, kind of fear of not being able to find any sort of steady work um, going into freelance. Uh, so a lot of people choose that because it's more of a stability. You're getting a more traditional job. You're going to have um, health insurance and that kind of thing. Uh, un unfortunately, the way that the entertainment industry is, I don't know that those jobs are actually that much more steady. I guess they still have health insurance while they last, but they <laughs> have a lot of layoffs. And um, especially like sure. if you're working on an animated film or, or a game, um, there's a lot of churn where mm. there's going to be layoffs right after that project is over. And then they'll like right. hire for a new and things like that yeah that makes sense okay um let's switch gears a little bit again to talk about uh, so you you already mentioned like hardware um advancements i guess you mentioned some particular screen thing i don't know mm, what, yeah so oh, no go ahead terry i was uh, the general question is what advancements recent advancements in digital <clears throat> illustration have there been what are what are the new you know cool things out there yeah, so the um, 
I'm trying to think how to how to phrase this. Uh, the Cintiq has been around forever, so that's the one I was talking about. That's kind oh, of the well, that's new to me. So. Table thing. Uh, yeah, it, it's a niche. It's a niche market, right? It's very okay. very popular among like people who work at Pixar and sort of, like so. If you see photos of their studios, they're all sitting at these like kind of leaned down on the table screens. Okay. Um, look like drafting tables. That was the term I was trying yeah, to think of. Yeah. But uh, more recently, um, there's been a big shift towards working on the iPad Pro. So back in, I think it was 2015, Apple um, added a stylus support to the iPad. So this nice little pencil thing. And um, I think, I mean, again, I should I should like give some sort of uh, what's the term? Uh, I don't know. I should I should just let everybody know I'm a big Apple fan. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> Disclaimer here. Yeah. The, uh, Disclaimer. That's the word. Wow. It's a good, yeah, it's a good not, thing. Not Matt's <laughs> That's all right. Oh, Matt, Matt. Would, Matt would be having having well, my guts for this. <laughs> well, Matt Matt is generally the opposite of uh, that as far as Apple goes. Oh no, he, I know uh, that. Yeah, keenly walks around stomping on Apple products. Oh, I know, I know. Guys, guys, a monster. No, uh, <laughs> no Apple. I mean, as, as big of a fan as I am of Apple, I know they have. Uh, there are there are plenty of good reasons to criticize them. Um, but but one of the reasons not to criticize them is if you're an artist, the Apple Pencil and the iPad are, um, I think, the best digital drawing experience you can get. And it's just gotten better since 2015. So um, especially working in Procreate, it's just really fantastic. Like it's probably the closest you can get to drawing on paper, but you can undo and use layers and all of the kind of extra nicety things like that. Um, as far as like recent advancements, more recent than that, uh, there's not really a lot. It's kind of a slow-moving industry in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, software continues to progress and get a little better and a little easier, uh, I guess. And this leads into your next question, probably. If if my <laughs> yes, let's let's uh, go ahead and go there. I don't there. think I call it an advancement, so that's that's why. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we're we're going to talk here about AI. Um, there's a lot of AI generated images out there these days. Um, yep. what, what give it give us just your perspective on it, Jerem. What is it? So, so is I it think, a threat? You know, is it an annoyance? Is it what the is biggest it? the biggest thing that is it's done in my life is turned me into a curmudgeon, apparently. Um or <laughs> or some sort of a what's what's the term? Uh the people who hated technology and tried to kill it in the Industrial Revolution. What are those people called? The uh Luddites. Luddites. Um Okay, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, my thoughts on AI are, I think there is probably a place in which it is a good thing. Uh, I, I don't know that I've really seen a great example of that. Um, uh, I, I think it's, so, so there's a lot of issues with it, basically. The main one that comes up a lot among artists is uh, to create these generative AI models that create AI artwork. Um, they've trained it on a huge set of uh, illustrations, basically, and paintings scraped from the internet without permission of the artists. So there's a huge right. like copyright issue where they've basically just stolen a bunch of work to create something that is, um, by all accounts, very profitable for these companies um, without reimbursing the artists or the content creators or um, content owners for these things. Um, so there has been like some talk in the industry about like how to mitigate that part. Adobe, um, I should I credit where due, I guess, Adobe has tried to get around that by only training on images that they own. I mm -hmm. think it's a little bit of a bad faith argument because they're, <laughs> I don't know, again, I don't, I don't mean to like stomp all over Adobe. Uh, good for them for trying, um, but, <laughs> but they, basically used a bunch of stock images which were uploaded not for that reason and then I, I also think uh, 
as much as that is a big issue and needs to be resolved, um, there's also a bigger, I think, more kind of societal issue or humanity issue of like, do we actually want computers to be taking over our means of expressing ourselves, both with art right. and writing? And those, those I think, are bigger questions and uh, things that um, apparently capitalism is just throwing off to the side as they run for money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is all types of philo philosophical, but I do think you're. I mean, did, illustration at its core is is expression, right? Like you're mm -hmm. getting to say something with it, and if the idea is that we're now letting the computer express itself uh, with uh, artwork, yeah, based on other people's art, you know, art, and using that, um, yeah, it does. You know, it seems like we're uh, moving away from a. Um, we're just losing the ability to express ourselves as a society so yeah and, 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 I, and I, just I think, think there's like oh go ahead tim oh no jerry you you finish jeremy and then i uh uh wait you first no wait mate wait that uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't know i i guess with ai there there is a little bit of a danger in calling it AI because first of all it's not intelligent it's just kind of uh these these are predictive models so they right. are they can't think they can't create anything really original without input and without um you know scraping the internet for images um right. but also there's an, uh, a little bit of a danger in just generalizing these things as AI so there are actually a lot of very useful and I think um, decent applications of the technology used to create this. So this is um, machine learning. I'm assuming you're more familiar with this, Carl. But yeah, we've had a podcast about it in the past. Though I, I did it actually, ironically, before uh, the most recent you know iteration of all these chat these uh, chat bots, all these all these mm -hmm. different uh, uh, you know chat GPT or whatever. But yes. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm not an expert on it, but machine learning itself, like, I don't think there's anything inherently bad about it. I think it's these specific implementations of, of what they're doing um, that are, I think the thing that really rubs me the wrong way about it, if, if you really step back, is that we should approach this with a lot more caution as far as like what it's going to do to society, but uh, we can't seem to do that because there's money to be made, basically. <laughs> So is this something? Oh, Tim. Tim had a comment. I think. Yeah. Oh, and and I I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves with with AI is you know I I think it it removes authenticity from much of what we consume. Though mm -hmm. I, I I think part of the question is that uh, is is that at this point in in much of what we consume. Um, authenticity has been stripped out of a lot of things already to the point where uh, AI being introduced doesn't change the experience too much because we've already lost the communal and uh, and human connections in, in a lot of our what we consume. I'll, I'll give an example. Um, you know, 100 years ago, if I wanted to play a game with someone, I sit down at a table and, uh, you know, I, I pull out a chessboard or or whatever game it might be and, and I play with them and and it's communal um you know fast forward to you know the 1970s and 80s the introduction of video games and um by the 90s now we were playing games where we could connect with someone but through internet and that technology connection is strained out some of the communal and authentic authenticity of that experience um and now we're we're at a point where you know, we, if you say get on to play a game, uh, the the connection now is you know you you can play with bots or whatever. And um, if you're 
you know, you're interacting with, with chat bots or whatever. And, but the, the experience has for years been the humanity and, and communal nature of it has been leaching out, I think slowly. And I think AI is just kind of the consummation of that. And I'm, I'm not necessarily anti AI. I think it's going to have a lot of, of um, good utility for society, but I think those are the questions we need to ask and, and we should be asking, asking them in our own lives. How, how have my interactions been um, diluted uh, of their human and authentic uh, qualities? Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a nuanced, it's a nuanced conversation and we're not very good at nuance as a society. So it's, it's yeah. difficult <laughs> to like get away from anything that's just sort of, you know, hot take comes across in one headline type of uh, type of reaction, right? Uh, but I, I like what you're saying about just humanity in general. And I think that's that's my biggest concern about it is, I mean, if I step back from my personal concern that this is going to wipe out my job in the near future, <laughs> which is also a big concern, but, but just like at a more general level, uh, the uh, just this big concern about like, this is taking the humanity away from our interactions, the humanity away from just kind of how we talk to each other and how we communicate. And I mean, it seems like even with just chat GPT, like we're going to get to a point where business is just computers writing emails to each other and nobody's actually. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Before we move on from the AI topic, then one of the, so there are, like you said, particular maybe aspects of it that are, are useful. Um, and, and let me outline one that I, I have, you know, at least in my mind, there there's potential to be useful as a tool for a digital illustrator. Let's say you could have your own trained model on your own work, Jerem, and mm -hmm. um, you could get a tight deadline for a project and you just don't have, you don't really have time to do a full, you know, whatever your process is, whatever your workflow is to generate something, but you have a model mm -hmm. that, you know, that's trained on your work and you can use it to generate something and then maybe you give it a couple tweaks. Is that something that you would consider? Is that something that, that kind of cheapens the process for you? Is that? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think I'm uneasy with the idea, but I'm not necessarily like 100% opposed to it. I think, I think the like kind of how that comes out would come down to like how well I can discipline myself to not like rely on it too heavily. So mm -hmm. if I was going to have something like that and, and I, like I said, it makes me very uneasy to think about. <laughs> it's hard to say how much of that is like some sort of moral qualm and how much is just a novelty thing. But um, right. I think the the version of that that sounds useful to me is helping you like come up with, like like get ideas out quickly. And so if you could use something like that to kind of like give you a first version and then you sort of use that as a model to redraw it on your own and redo things, but you don't have right. to spend as much time kind of thinking through some of the details. I think yeah. there, there's there's something to that idea probably, but like I said, it's uh, it, it there's a fine line, and I think um, a lot of people would just use the uh, output as the end product, which again just feels feels weird and bad to me. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, this is this is ironically a road um, I'm I'm familiar with from years ago that um, machine translation got pretty good mm -hmm. before um, just your generic you know, machine, you know, uh, you know, chats, GPT, whatever the current iteration is of, of these um, ML models, it, machine translation got better before the, everything else did. And so translators were presented with this issue before everyone else was. And it's yeah. a, uh, and that's, it became the same question in the translation industry of, well, 
translation is, you know, sure, it's there's very technical aspects of it, but there's also just kind of the, you know, the generative aspect of like I'm expressing mm-hmm. in this other language what was expressed in the original language, um, and machine translation is just, you know, the the crunching of the numbers. Um, is it should I use the output? Um, of machine translation if it's good enough or is that cheapening mm-hmm. the whole experience so I'm kind of curious how uh, a few years later how has that turned out for the oh it's industry? entirely machine translation <laughs> yeah see and that's it's just hard to imagine that it's not going to go that way with illustration like especially for kind of um, more consumable ephemeral types of illustration so like things that are going to be on packaging or in magazines or that are right. sort of like you know not really artwork meant for the ages types of right like it's hard not to think that um you know their companies can save some money and they're going to just go for that but right i mean we'll see what happens yeah i've got to give the caveat that i say it's machine like the volume of translation has increased significantly and that's largely because machine machine translation has made it possible to do so and Mm -hmm. so a lot of translators work is just post editing it's just looking through machine translations and looking for errors there are is still a fairly healthy group of you know freelance translators that actually do translation but yeah it becomes more specialized it's more it's like artisanal translation (laughs) right exactly exactly and that's that's so I don't, you know, who knows if it's going to follow the same path now, uh, for, you know, for our work or not. But, um, yeah. okay. That's AI. echoes of, of previous uh, iterations of technological transformation where it, uh, it revolutionizes everything. And um, there's, you know, concern about how it's, you know, it, you know, when, say, the printing press, um mm-hmm. You know, and computers and and so forth and and what we've seen is is in the past you know society adapts and becomes more efficient with the new technology um but it is you know the technology with iai and all this stuff it's so incredibly good at mimicry you know mm-hmm. that it's just interesting to see you know if this is going to be just another one that oh yeah we adapt and and how could we have ever have lived without this or if it's going to be something different anyway sorry that's not really a relevant point but just interesting to think about no absolutely and, and even within like the illustration industry we've gone through a few things like this in the past so if you go back to like the golden age of illustrators i can't even remember exactly when this was but back in um norman rockwell's time and like um, howard pyle uh jc Leindecker, like those guys were basically rock stars in their day like they were household names everybody knew who they were they were making heaps of money just super rich um by being an artist you know and uh and a commercial artist at that um and then the camera came along basically and sort of supplanted a lot of that so a lot of the magazine work turned over into photography so that was a big issue and then more recently the sort of transition to digital illustration there was a lot of hand-wringing about like is this real art and is this you know is this going to destroy the industry so kind of the same thing um i do think the ai version of this feels a little more existential to me than some of those maybe but but you know this this sort of thing does happen and i guess uh we we find out with time how much hand wringing is valid and how much it just kind of works out one way or another you know right yeah to be continued let's say yeah um, right okay final question here and i think a meaningful one for so obviously if people are listening to this some of these people are going to have interest in becoming digital illustrators uh, finding you know their own clientele or whatever what what have you we've already talked a little bit about what you did to stand out um but what are the steps nowadays to stand out as a digital illustrator 
Um, you know, I get asked this a lot. There's not there's not really a formula um, that you can do that's going to guarantee you success. But I think the there's a lot you can do to kind of guide things that way. So the number one thing, obviously, is you need to um, have work that's that people want to buy and that people want to look at. Um, so you know, need to really like develop your drawing skills before worrying about anything else. So and and that doesn't mean your drawings have to be perfect and you shouldn't share anything unless you think it's perfect, right? But but you should be creating the best work that you can. And then uh, the second step is just trying to get it in front of as many people as you can. So um, for me, when I was getting started, that was Instagram. I'm not sure if that's strictly still true. Definitely still an aspect of it. Um, TikTok is big now, obviously. Um, and if you can ride that algorithm somehow to to get your work in front of more people, then that's going to be really helpful. Uh, you do have to kind of consider who the audience is that you're you're trying to reach, though. So TikTok tends to be a younger crowd, and that might not involve as many like art directors or people who are able to hire you. So um, the the most eyes isn't necessarily always the going to match like targeted uh, marketing, basically, but. I mean, really, the formula is create work that you're proud of and then get people to look at it. And and I think the other part uh, that doesn't get talked about as much is just be professional and present yourself professionally. So make sure you have a website that doesn't end in like dot weebly dot com or something like that, you know, a real sounding <laughs> website. Um, try to right. present yourself just as as a professional. I, I also see this a lot on social media where people who are uneasy or are um, new to the industry will put like in their bio um, aspiring illustrator or like illustration student or something like that. And and it was at least hard for me to get over my imposter syndrome enough to just be able to say like, I am an illustrator and I am available for hire, even when right. I'm looking at my work and feeling like I'm not ready for that. Uh, mm. But you really need to just kind of project some confidence that you may not feel. <laughs> and I right. think that goes a long way as well. And then be easy to work with. That's the other thing. Um, uh, I don't I don't know if this is true, but I have been told by clients that I'm uh, easier to work with than others, which always surprises me because it's like I just like meet my deadlines and reply to emails like <laughs> I don't know that there's a lot to it. A low bar to clear, though, but you've done it. Well, <laughs> and, and that's that's the impression I get is that uh, people might be approaching this from too much of like a artist perspective and less of a mm. less of business a business professional <laughs> whatever perspective. Right. And I, I think you need to sort of channel your inner, inner uh inner businessman to some degree to try to just be easy to work with and meet your deadlines. Yeah. And, and it's an addendum. I, so I guess when, when we had Michelle on earlier and she talked about kind of her art and her, her road in her, in her business, she was saying that, you know, some of the process of going through school helped her, um, in ways that, you know, that, like you said, you don't, no one's going to ask you for your credentials as far as the digital, mm -hmm. digital illustration goes, but maybe the process of going through school, getting a degree gives you kind of this basic, you know, uh, level of saying, okay, yeah, you respond to emails, you, uh, you know, there's just basic expectation of, of business practices. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know for what it's worth. I, I, you know, I think your degree, um, potentially has set you up to be successful, even though it's your skill as an artist that, or as an illustrator that does the uh, the majority of the lifting. No, I definitely think that's true. I mean, my degree was super helpful. There was there was one class in school called Professional Practices for Illustrators. Um, oh, it was wow. taught by uh, David Haben, he's a great guy. Um, but that was the class that like, and and years after, I always think back and like, man, I wish I'd taken better notes in that class and I had like paid more <laughs> attention because they covered things like how to create an invoice, and like how to do your taxes as a freelancer and um, like how to just like actually 
do the business of illustration. And those are the things right. we don't necessarily talk about too much in a lot of other classes. Um, but even even without that, like just the process that you go through in illustration classes is you're given an assignment, you have a deadline, you need to do sketches, you need to communicate with the teacher and like be be able to like accept feedback without getting your feelings hurt and getting mad about it. That's that's also a big part of the uh, of the job is like developing a little bit of a thick skin. So when a client comes back and says, hey, this artwork that you spent hours on isn't perfect and I need you to change this thing. You don't like throw your computer and then like scream at the client, <laughs> which which sounds like also a low bar but like that that's you know it feels really personal when you put a lot of yourself into this I'm sure artwork. yeah and yeah. uh especially in school like i remember a couple of really rough critiques where you're just like furious at the teacher because they dared to criticize this this yeah. masterpiece that you had made you know right right hey jeremy i just want to let you know that i find you easier to work with than other people on this podcast oh well there you go yeah I mean, let's let's not get Tim's, let's not get too deep on Matt here, right? <laughs> Tim Tim's trying to buy himself a one-way ticket off the podcast. That's right. Boom. Well, I'm, I'm yeah, pulling the what's the name? Howard Stern. The, yeah. The, I'm ah, yes, yes. Trying to cultivate my shock jock persona. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. No, you're, I'm shocked. We're all shocked. <laughs> jock, uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Appalled. Right, well. I'll remind you, Tim, that I post this episode so I can either completely edit you out or add any, um, you know, AI generated voice of you claiming that you have, you know, no meaningful, you know, brain functions. So, you, you uh, know, what I would like, Carl, is if you post it, but just removed every other word I said. <laughs> well, that would be nice. You know, well, AI generated sure. Tim. Yeah. <laughs> I think AI generated Tim is actually a pretty, uh, pretty solid, uh, pretty solid AI idea for you out there. Yeah, I think so. And I, I honestly don't know that editing every other word out that Tim says would make any difference in how much sense it makes. So. <laughs> it would just make it that more eclectic and uh, cryptic, you know, give it, give it more allure, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. Definitely, think definitely more allure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, any final thoughts uh, before we sign off here, Jerem? We've appreciated you coming on, and uh, but yeah, any any insights you have for the aspiring uh, digital I, illustrator? Oh, Tim, Tim has. I, I have a question actually. Uh, I've been waiting okay. the whole podcast. To, okay, um, Jerem, would you sign off real quick just on how did you get into art? How did you like know you were interested in art? That you maybe had some talent there, and what advice would you give to say someone who has daughters? who love art and how would you, um, <laughs> how do you um, foster that? You know? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. Um, getting into art, I've just always been interested in drawing. I used to spend all of church um, just drawing and uh, still do that actually. Uh, so <laughs> um, I think as far as like how you foster that I, and how I kind of was encouraged, probably some some misplaced compliments by, by people in authority that <laughs> sort of inflated my ego. <laughs> But uh, yeah, just you know, in encourage them. Tell them that it looks good. Tell them that they're they're good and cool and great at drawing. And even if it's not the best thing in the world, like you know, it it goes a long way. And it uh, compliments stick to you more than you would expect them to. You know, like years later, you remember the dumbest things. So mm -hmm. that's a good insight, actually, because um, I think once again, going back to the podcast that we had with Michelle, who. Uh, she also said, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have a bit of an ego. You've got to be a bit, mm -hmm. you know, 
self-confident in a way that uh, that people can't knock out of you and so yeah you probably gotta somebody's gotta knock it into you first so yeah as, as much as ego is a bad thing there's there's a big um imposter syndrome kind of challenge with doing a career like this so like hold on to every scrap of like self-confidence you've got because like, it's 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 hard you know it's hard to maintain that sometimes so nice okay well i think that's probably a good way to finish up we uh, appreciate you oh tim did you once again tim wanted the final word as he always wants the final word <laughs> no i was just saying thank you that uh that's oh. good to know and uh anyway though when when in about uh, 15 20 years when my daughters are are breaking into the illustration scene we'll make sure to to give you some credit oh please do <laughs> please please let me know i would love to see that <laughs> well thanks again jerem uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll um we'll check back in with you later and see if the ai has taken over your work so <laughs> yeah i'll uh, i'll have to get permission from my mcdonald's manager by then but yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Jerome. We'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot. See ya.